Hey folks, welcome back to another edition of the Small Town Hunter Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Don Baker, and this week we have got an awesome story from Tyler Loveland from Owasso, Oklahoma, who just got back from Alaska on a DIY moose hunt. It was, it was a great conversation. We went over the do's and don'ts of, of what to take, what not to take, you know, of a perspective from a hunter who what a lot of people call an adult onset hunter. He didn't start hunting at all until he was 30 years old. Here he is 10 years later going into the backcountry of, of Alaska to go after a moose and, you know, just have a, a wonderful, wonderful time. Tyler and I met about 15 years ago. His wife and my wife were great friends since elementary, you know, kindergarten. My wife was the maid of honor in her wedding. Got to meet Tyler, you know, staying in touch over the years, and I'm glad I did that. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the Small Town Hunter podcast with Tyler Loveland. Hello. All right, on today's episode, we get to talk to Tyler Loveland. Now, Tyler just got back from a DIY moose hunt in Alaska, and I cannot wait to hear the story beginning to end to see how Tyler put all of this together. Tyler, welcome to the show. How are you doing today, Joe Don? Man, I am fantastic, and I've, I've like been looking so forward to this conversation for, well, since, since I knew you were going, and I've, I've talked to you, you know, back and forth through the summer, and you know, you were telling me about all the stuff you had going, and whenever you first told me that you were going to Alaska to go on a DIY moose hunt, I was like, holy crap, you know, because that's, that's every outdoorsman's, probably every outdoorsman's goal in their life is to go to Alaska to hunt a such a giant, giant critter as a moose, you know, and especially living in, you know, I don't know if you call Oklahoma the Midwest, the Plains, I don't know, <laughs> but you know, a lot of guys from here don't get to get out to do that kind of stuff that often. So you were extremely, you know, fortunate. And I know you did a ton of planning and we're going to get into all of that. But welcome to the show. And I can't wait to hear all about it, man. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm good telling you uh, everything that went into it, the whole experience. Uh, it's I'm still living it now, man. It's It's still that fresh <laughs> in my head and I miss it already. Really? So it's like it was yesterday and also a year ago. It's it's yeah. mind-boggling. <laughs> so what was the first steps that you had to take? What okay, let me back up. So what the what, what, made, what lit the fire, huh? Yeah, what lit the fire in you to go, you know what? Let's go. Yeah. So I have a good friend that I hunt with. Our families hunt together, we hunt together. Uh and we just I don't know, just get along overall so last year uh it was early bow season we love to do early bow season in in public land western oklahoma and i don't know we're headed somewhere we're going to town i i don't know we're out of like provisions we're going to town and he says you know we need to go to alaska and do a moose hunt just matter of fact <laughs> just matter of fact and i i thought it was just off the cuff for him which, you know, I can, I can even go deeper into that story, but uh, it wasn't. He had calculated who and when he was going to ask that. Really? A little bit of his backstory is his dad was stationed out of uh, Air Force Base in Anchorage when he was 
you know, young. So he'd, he'd lived there before. And he's been there a couple times, black bear and caribou. And he does, you know, a couple weeks in July every year for the salmon run. So he's got roots there somewhat. Sure. Um, so, yeah, he out of the, off the cuff from what I thought. Hey, you want to go to Alaska moose hunting? We need, we need to do it. And the whole, the whole premise was. He didn't even ask you. He said, we're going. Or we well, need- no, he asked me. Of course he's oh. going to ask me because that's, that's a big you know, most people look at that and like, yeah, I want to do it. You know, you're on the, getting, you're in the line to get on the roller coaster. Then they, you know, all, all of a sudden have to get off and go to the bathroom or something. That's a great analogy. So, and I was like, well, yeah, let's do it. We, we need to, we need to look at it, you know, uh, on paper. But as of right now, I'm committed to that. Um, yeah. So think about it. You're going to spend 10 days in could be compromising situations and in camp with the same person who are you going to take mm-hmm. you're going to take your best friend or are you going to take a guy that can hang you know because mm-hmm. there's there's chores you know there's you know, people are lazy <laughs> yeah i mean, you know, I mean just, there, there's a lot of it. reasons to figure out who would who could i hang out with for that long and in just, just the two of you right just the two of us that's right so that's that's why he kind of he he picked me to ask me, and he he was straight up about that after he asked me. So you know I'm I want to do this, I want and I want to do it. His reason, which I completely adopted myself, we're either going to get old enough and have enough money to go, but our bodies won't support the trip. <laughs> or you, we do it now while we're young, healthy. You know I'm 40. I turned 40 on that trip. Nice. You know fourth day in camp, I turned 40. So that was in a reason itself to go but uh yeah i mean you do it when you're young scratch enough money together try to be a little bit cheap about it and i think it's more fun that way well you yes you want to be you know as cheap as possible but you also probably need to splurge or buy or take the necessary things for survival or whatever yeah yeah Yeah. so let's go through let's go through your preparation a little bit so how far out in advance did you start? What was the first thing you did? Like the, the, to- the number one thing we kind of all, you know, we both made our lists and we both, you know, we would have, let's say a moose hunt meeting every month or every week, whenever we could get together, you know, we'd have a few uh, beers and say, okay, what are we doing this week? What are we doing in the next couple of weeks to make plans? The number one is transport. So if you do an outfitter or a guide, which is one way to go. It's the way we decided we didn't want to go. Mm-hmm. We didn't want to, we didn't want to entertain those options. Number one, they're more expensive, you know, outfitter significantly outfitter. They got a spot. Right? It's their, it's their plane or they take you, they check in on you. It's all of their gear. All you show up is with your hunting clothes and your rifle and your sleeping bag. They take care of all that, you know, and, and we didn't, and they're responsible for you. Yeah. The outfitter, yeah. yeah. And yeah. then the guide is, you know, basically does everything. You just pull a trigger. <laughs> yeah. And I don't like hunting that way now, so I couldn't envision doing this trip that way. Plus, it's you. significantly more expensive to do that. And in Alaska, you can hunt moose as a non-resident without any of those. That was one of my questions because I know there are some species in Alaska that yeah. you have to have a guide, right? Brown bear and dull sheep. 
mandatory to have two? a guide. That's correct. Is that because of the, the dangerous situations of a brown bear hunt in the habitat of the doll sheep? That's right. Yeah. I mean, okay. they, they, yeah, that's, that's about it in a nutshell. Okay. They don't want to put non-residents in precarious situations and then have, you know, to explain. Well, that could, <laughs> every year we have 42 non-residents get killed by a brown bear or whatever, or die to their death, you know, fall to their death off a cliff. Yeah. Or yeah. Hypothermia, whatever. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we decided we're going to do non or not, sorry, not non-resident, but do, do it yourself all DIY. But you know, we, what we wanted, we didn't want to just go up there, rent a car and hunt from the road, if you will. A lot of residents do that there and that's okay. But we didn't want, we wanted the whole experience as, as cheap as possible or as value packed as possible. So we chose to find and, and search out, a transport company now there's there's you know it's kind of strange that we figured out that there's a lot more and more of these gaining popularity because more people uh due to the hunting industry um more people want to do it that do yourself experience mm-hmm. um but then there's a lot of outfitters that they say no we're going to be involved you're going to use our tent so the number one hardest thing was to find and secure a transport um and a lot of come to find out people like us non-residents to alaska do this and they plan they take three four years to plan it wow which and you guys did it in like 11 months or something yeah effectively a year yeah you know it was it was october first couple weeks of october last year when the when the spark was there that we wanted to go so the, the the fun part about getting a, uh, securing a transport was okay. Who do we know? And and all the forums we read, we research. Who do we want to use as a transport? Because you don't want, you know, some goofball redneck from Alaska that has a plane and a pilot's <laughs> license flying <laughs> yeah. flying you five minutes, you know, across the pond or whatever. So here you go, boys. This is your spot. And you look at him like, well, we paid him. Now what are we gonna do? Yeah. Yeah. We wanted what we wanted was put us in a known good spot, leave us there, and we'll call you for you know. And you wanted to help. be in a spot known for high moose numbers or trophy quality, or what was your put us in this area criteria? The, well, yeah, beggars can't be choosers. So okay. I found I, I used to work with a guy that somehow was involved with the Dallas Safari Club. In what manner? I don't know. He had, you know, some affiliation with it. So I asked him, do you know any transports in Alaska? He said, no, but I know a guy that would know a guy. So I kind of worked that <laughs> And that, that was a lot of begging and please respond to my email, voicemails unresponded to. Oh, so then he'd call back and say, sorry, but I was busy. And what do you want? I'm like, mm-hmm. well, I just need somebody with a pilot's license to put me in a good spot. Okay, well, maybe I can think about that. And he used to be an outfitter, so he he was trying to work his angle to try to get some more money out of me. And I didn't the guy didn't, that you ultimately chose, or no, that was my angle. So Sean, my friend, um, hunting buddy, he worked the forty mile air ang- angle, and and we both did that. And their their whole deal is if you've never flown with us before, this is the date and time you call in. If we answer the phone or if you get your call answered, if you will, then we'll take your number down and your name 
and call you back and let you know if we have an open spot for you. Because they're probably pretty busy because they're a pretty big company, right? They only work off of repeat customers. And if they don't fill spots with repeat customers, then they open up to first-time customer. Mm. So a couple weeks go by. Sean gets a, a call back. Well, he, he actually got through. I never got through. I think I dialed like 115 times that morning. No way. Yeah. <laughs> he did the same thing. He finally got through. He, you know, secured his name and number with the company, and he got a call like a week later. And he said, look, we're number five or number six on their list. I mean, what's that mean? He said, well, there's five guys in front of us, and four of those guys have put in for draw in other units in Alaska. So if they draw, they'll probably cancel. So that would, if that happened, grace of God, that happened. Uh, wow. You know, now we're in spot two, if all four of those guys draw. The fifth guy, Jodon, the fifth guy didn't have voicemail. No way. That's what so he, they couldn't leave him a message. That's right. Oh, wow. Okay. So that, that lesson learned, fellas, or people listening, make sure you set up your voicemail on your phone so you might be able to receive important messages such as, hey, would you like to move something with whatever? <laughs> yeah, we all have lives. We can't answer the phone all the time. So, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. So, so they have okay, one so spot. so you're in. Yeah. No, yeah, we're in. They say, okay, okay. we got one spot open, one, and it's a lake hunt. We're like, well, lake hunt? So what do you think of when you – we're going to go to moose hunt in Alaska. What do you think of? What do, where do you want to go? We're going to go Ridgetop. Everything we've read, the big bulls are on the Ridgetops. Ridgetop hunt. No, we don't have any of those. Well, they do, but they're all full. Mm-hmm. Lake hunt. Okay. So Sean is, he's crafty. You know, he's always working an angle. And he says, do you have the person's contact info from the previous year? Yes. Tyler, Louisiana has been to that spot two years prior to 2017 and 2018. Oh, wow. He went twice. He went twice, and now he lives there. Now he lives in Alaska. He moved his wife and kids up to Alaska. Wow, okay. And I'm telling you what, it, 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 yeah, it gets in you. It doesn't take long. <laughs> so So he had, he had a lot of information for us, you know, because what do you take? You know, you can't take everything in the kitchen sink. Mm-hmm. We can get into that later, too. There's a big weight restriction on those airplanes. So he, he helped us with, you know, did you kill? Yeah, oh, yeah, he killed a 55 his first year and a 65 his second year. Holy crap. And I think that his buddy the first year didn't kill, and then he was hunting with a, not, a, a resident the second year he went, and I think he killed a little bull. Which that now are there restrictions on what you can and can't take in that area? In that area, there is a restriction that states non-residents anything legal is wider than fifty inches or four brow tines on one side. On one side, okay. On one side, yeah. So if you're a resident and use forty mile air and go to this lake hunt, um, you you can take any any bull you want. Because they consider it subsistence at that point. Uh, yeah, I think that's how they classify it. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. All right. So you got a hold of him. And so you, now we he, got a transport, so, right? That's our that's our list. Number one is filled. We got a transport. <laughs> okay. And the rest is uh, 
the rest is just, you know, legwork. What do we need? What do we need to buy? What do we have that we can use? Um, you know, tags and license and permits and all that. That That's pretty easy as far as... Is it over the counter? Yeah, it's a website. You know, you go on okay. there and you fill out all the, all the specifics and you pay and it shows up in the mail. So what's a moose tag cost? A moose tag is now in 2019, $800. And then do you have to have a license with that as well? The non-resident license is $200. So about a thousand bucks. Well, in 2018, it was $400 for the tag. No way. This is, this, what we did, and we didn't realize that, it's, you know, it's getting real popular. Yeah. (laughs) And Alaska knows that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Can't blame them, but whatever. Sure. It's a big state. I mean, you know, capitalism at its finest, you know, is, hey, we see a chance to make a little more money on these non-resident hunters. And we have a great resource. Let's use it. And yeah, I love it. You know, yeah. I mean, Alaska, that's what they do is oil and tourism. So, yeah. So you got your license, you got your tag. Yeah. What's the next Got a transport. I got, uh, you know, all my legal stuff to hunt. All the paperwork, tag license, permit. You got to get a permit, which is just, it's it's like the hip permit in Oklahoma. They just want to know. You don't pay for it. It's just a so they can track. They want to know how many hunters are a field. That's right. And they want gotcha. to they want to know is if okay, did you plan to hunt and not hunt? They want to know that too, which is kind of strange. But hmm. um, airplane ticket, you know, bought an airplane ticket. So where did you guys fly out of and into? We we both uh, reside Owasso, so we flew out of Tulsa. Okay, Tulsa to Dallas, well, Dallas to Anchorage. Oh, wow. Yeah. I bet that was a long flight. Nah, six hours. Really? Yeah. And, and you know, it's an oh. hour from here to Dallas, and then six hours. It's not bad. Not bad at all. So I remember earlier in the summer, I was talking to you about this deal, and you said that, because I was like, hey, man, you're getting jacked up, and you're like, oh, my God. You said, I do something every single day to prepare for this hunt. Yeah, yeah. And I thought that was... If I wasn't doing uh, something, I was thinking about what I was going to do next. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. And I I think that's what makes it so cool and such a unique hunt is... And I'm not saying it it is or isn't, but a lot of times it's a a once-in-a-lifetime deal. And you want to make sure that all your I's are dotted and your T's are crossed. You know, have... You've been hunting, I'm sure, before when... Well, I... I forgot my car charger or your, your phone charger at, at the house or, you know, there's always something that can make the trip a little bit less enjoyable. And we had agreed that we wanted to negate all of that. We wanted to be as prepared as possible. So, okay. I mean, our, our preparation, you know, okay, what, what ammo am I going to use? What rifle am I going to use? Am I going to buy another rifle? Uh, you know, I, I, ha- I, I'm a concealed carry guy. I planned on carrying a pistol, but my concealed carry holster is probably not the best for hiking moose meat out. <laughs> okay. So I wanted something that would, con- you know, would carry better. There was always like one more thing. I had to try to think of every situation I would be in. Do I have the right gear for it? Um, and if not, can I make it? No. Can I buy it? Yeah. Or can I buy it used? Gotcha. We did a lot of that. You know, we did a lot of eBay and 
uh, I made some, I made some stuff. A hobby is, you know, a welder. So I made some stuff to make camp a lot, a lot more enjoyable. So th- there so was, I got two, Go I got two questions for you. Yeah. What is one thing that you took that you wish you wouldn't have <sighs> that you didn't need? You're like, ah, I could have done without that or whatever. There's, there's, there's a list and we've already made a list next time. If there's a next time we're taking this and we're leaving that. Okay. Uh, so what is something that you didn't have that you wish you would have more bacon? And <laughs> yeah, yeah. We took a pound of bacon. Didn't think about it because we, based on the, the weather forecast, it didn't look like we were going to be able to keep bacon. So we because figured, it'd be too warm. Yeah. Okay. That that was, yeah, that fell through. I mean, you can't plan on the weather, but yeah, yeah, yeah. You can keep bacon warm in seventy degree weather in Alaska. We <laughs> oh, we figure man. out how to do that actually. We, okay, we, I'm listening. We, we can keep bacon. Uh, yeah, so bacon would be. I mean, the food intake was was fun. Trying to figure out not not on camp, but trying to figure out okay, what do we need for food. And how many calories do you need a day and all that good stuff? We didn't plan on eating well. We just wanted to be, you know, Alive. sustained. Yeah. Not, not, we didn't want to survive. We just want to be sustained. Um, Were you guys doing a lot of hiking every day? We, we did. You know, as whitetail hunters, it was hard for us to hunt from camp constantly. And but we, that's just how you do it, right? Moose hunting is done hunting from camp. Okay. Now, there's a little bit of variation in that, but yeah, that's how you're supposed to do it. And and YouTube is great. And we didn't learn any of that on YouTube. <laughs> oh yeah. And who do you know that moose hunts? You can't yeah, ask exactly. a buddy. Yeah. So that that was that was tough. So yeah, we did we did some days we did a lot of hiking. Um, you know, I I did consider do I need to be in shape for this hunt? So. No, not really. You don't really, aside from when you kill, that's when the work starts. But, you know, day to day, you don't really need to be in great shape. Of course, I'm six foot, 190 pounds, and I work outside every day. So it's not like I'm, I'm riding the desk every day. Right, right. So you, you're in, you know, decent enough physical shape yeah. to, to get you from here to there. Yeah. But whenever good. you start throwing tons of meat on your back, it's, you, you, you realize that you hit that 40 mark. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's all right. I don't mind hurting, especially for something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, as far as what, what we wish we would have had was probably more bacon. Uh, you know, my buddy <laughs> and I both hilarious. like to drink beer. So we took three 12 packs. Um, and we, we got really upset as soon as we got dropped off by the airplane. Okay. Um, so we kind of we self-soothed a little bit with a few beers. Why were you then. upset? My my buddy lost his shells. His to his rifle? Rifle ammunition gone. No. Yeah. So you can't carry a hard side case on those little airplanes. It's too big, too heavy. Yeah. You know, and the way the way they do it, they said it's you and as much as you want to put on your body, plus your fifty pounds of gear. That gets you there and gets you back. Okay. Right? Now we chose to pay for an upgrade, which is uh, a 200 pound gear load, which is a third 
trip for the airplane to bring 200 more pounds of your stuff, whatever wow. you want it to be. So we, we did that. We figured for the price it is, it's worth having a comfortable camp for 10 days. Yeah. And, and you know, that 50 well, pounds. Especially is, if you're saving a little bit of money doing a DIY, you know, you have a little more to spend for something like that to make, to make your camp what would be like a guide camp. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can bring, okay, now we can bring rain gear, you know. Now we can bring some beer with us. Now we can bring some of the food that we would like to bring. Uh, we can bring two So did he ever find out where his ammo went? Uh, no, no. So, so that's the gun case. You fly with the guns in the hard case. You know, commercial airline, no big deal, right? You get mm-hmm. there, you throw the gun case in the rental car. And some of the other stuff you know you're not going to need, like civilian clothes or whatever. Uh, and then, you know, you got your soft side rifle scabbard thing, little pillowcase or whatever. So you stick your gun in that. He had put his ammunition, uh, I think it was like one box of shells, in the little zipper pouch on the side of that. So what's the first thing everybody does once they get the can? Load the rifle. And he noticed that that zipper was open. Oh, no. And that gun case had, you know, been picked up and set down probably 10 times that morning. Mm. Plus hiking from where the plane dropped us off into camp. Was it a float plane that landed you on the lake? It was two float planes. So we get to Toke, T-O-K. We check in, weigh our stuff, weigh us. We get in a van. The van drives 30 minutes to a big lake and a big plane. So like a Cessna 185. So that, that'll fit all our gear. That'll fit both of us and the pilot. And we go. We go. It's a 30 minute, 40 minute flight. Big lake, and then there is a smaller Piper Cub, little bitty plane. And you can fit 50 pounds, you and the pilot, and that's it. You know, pilot, you're sitting behind the pilot. Pilot's kind of between your legs in front of you. Single file. Yep. So he had to make a trip for you and a trip for your buddy. So once we get there, you know, my buddy leaves with his 50. He comes back and gets the 200-pound gear load. And from there to to our destination was probably 10 minutes. Hmm. Uh, and then comes and gets me and my 50 pounds. Rifles are free. You don't have to, you can take every gun in your safe if you want. They don't count that against the weight. Huh. That's odd. Yeah, I thought so too. Well, we, yeah, we, took, it... we took a little 22 rifle just for, okay, we're going to, we're going to be eating good because we're going to hunt some, you know, squirrels and rabbits and ptarmigan and all that, which didn't pan out. We didn't have any of that. Huh. <laughs> It's hungry country, okay. man. There's there's not critters running around everywhere like we assumed yeah. there might be. Uh, yeah, the twenty two rifle I would leave at home. You don't need that. Okay. Not for where we were. So it was, you know, mountain house every night for us. Yeah. <laughs> but this is fine. Uh, yeah. So we we get to camp. He goes pulls his gun out and no ammo. Mm. And so I don't know how you'd feel. I'd feel pretty bad. And he he was. He was not fun to be around for a couple hours, which, I bet. yeah, I had total sympathy for him. I said, look, we're calling and we're glassing. That's our hunt. You know, tr- pulling the trigger, we got one, I got a rifle. So, you know, mm-hmm. if it comes to it, I would love for my rifle to kill two moose. <laughs> yeah. So what caliber did you take with you? 30 6 It's a, it's an old rifle. My mom's second husband had, I found in the attic and I've done some things me right uh you know knocked the rust off of it and um found a, a 
I knew I wanted to, I thought I wanted to go a bigger bullet and I shouldn't. So in, in the end, I ended up using 180 grain all, all copper slug. No kidding. Yeah. Yeah. They said you on those big animals, you want to retain every bit of the weight all the way through. And you know, what bullet you, did you shoot? It was a uh, Hornady Superformance. You know, it's a hotter load. Mm-hmm. It's now discontinued. They don't sell that cartridge anymore. I don't know why. They probably because they went to the ELDX. And I, I had shot some of those, and those were grouping about the same. But that's a bonded, jacketed bullet. Oh. And I was I was afraid that, you know, hitting a big animal like that, that it would deform instantly. Mm. I wanted it to deform on its way through. My mule so. deer in Montana, I shot last year with the ELDX. Yeah. And it it performed well. It was a ton of weight still behind it when it hit. It was That's, 150 grain ELDX out of my seven mag, and I was real happy with it. I probably would have been okay with it, right? But that was part of the fun. That was part of the preparation. Sure. You know, I had, I had, you know, just went. I don't, I don't hand load. I'd like to, but you know, family and time and all that good stuff. I just don't. Sure. Well, Hornady uh, makes good enough ammunition that you can buy absolutely. it off the shelf and be absolutely pretty. You know. Um, your groups can stay consistent and that kind of thing. Yeah, and on a moose, the, the kill zone is rather large. It's huge, <laughs> like a sheet of so, plywood standing there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's something like twenty, almost thirty inches, for like the heart and lungs. Vital yeah, area. heart, lungs, scapula, shoulder, all that. Right. Okay. Yeah, you're good. You're good in there. So, yeah, that's the that's the round I chose, uh, and I shot it a lot. So I felt confident my my gun was good enough to put in anybody's hands. Now uh, I think and I had no. Go ahead. Yeah. Oh, I I had just received my first suppressor, so I was excited about hunting with that. So that's where I was headed. I was going to say I I was going to let the cat out of the bag that you that you decided to shoot suppressed, and yeah. I was going to kind of go into that a little bit. But is that's not required. It's just something you wanted to do, right? It's something I've always wanted to do, and you know, hunt with kids. That's kind of what drove me with that. You know, the big boom, it eats a lot of recoil, uh, and it's, it's, it's fun. Nobody around can, ha- can say, oh, yeah, he's, he's over there hunting, and, you know, he's shooting at something. We did hear a lot of gunshots while we were there, but never saw anybody. Gunshots, you know, miles away. Really? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, that is an, an odd characteristic when you're that far from civilization, that when there's no wind... And there's no bugs. You can hear everything. There's no noise pollution at all. Wow. If you Just have any kind of hearing. Calm. If you have hearing loss, you're going to hear your ears ringing constantly. Really? Yeah. There's no noise pollution. And it wow. is it's very striking because that's not something I expected. There so was what was the weather like? Oh, the weather. Um, well, the forecast was, you know, high 30s of the low. And mid sixties for the high. We beautiful almost weather. Yeah, right. On paper, beautiful weather. Uh, you know, there was some gear. We thought, well, we'll just leave this in the van, and we can get more bacon and beer. <laughs> we said, <laughs> yeah, no, no, the necessities. We, yeah, because we, you know, my, my buddy had bought this teepee. It's an Octopeak. Great camping t- uh, tent. You can stand up in it and put your clothes on. You know. You don't have to get out of the tent to get dressed and, and get cold while you're doing that. Right. And it's got a stove jack. So he got, he got a packable stove. 
we're going to have a fire in the tent. This is going to be great. We almost left that stove. So the actual weather, uh, when we got there, it was 70 degrees, hauling our stuff. We're peeling our clothes off. All we got on is our underwear, hiking boots, and our frame pack, hauling our camp in from where the plane dropped us off. Because camp's two, 300 yards from the shoreline. Okay. Man, this, this is terrible. It's hot. You know, what do animals do when it's hot? It's, they lay down and they don't move. So, um, the next so you, morning. you already the, went to the negativity side. You're like, man, this is going to suck. <laughs> it's too hot. Well, we knew it was going to be warm, right? But, hey, too bad. We're going. The first morning it froze. Wow, like a hard freeze. Like, yeah, there's frost on everything getting out of the tent. Perfect. Uh, yeah. I'm like, well, cool. And I'd say there was maybe two or three mornings it didn't freeze because it was overcast at night. So yeah. it kind of kept that heat in. Uh, but there was one morning we woke up and there was, there was ice on the inside of the tent. The condensation on the inside of the tent had froze. Hmm. I'm like, ooh, it's, it's cold. Glad we brought that stove. <laughs> What'd you burn? Uh, well, the two predominant trees in Alaska are birch and spruce, and there's no birch out there, so it was just deadfall. Okay. Cut it, brought a little tiny camp hatchet, and just used another piece of wood to, you know, pierce it and keep splitting some short pieces of wood. Yeah, that's what we burned. Huh. There's there's plenty of firewood out there for sure. Okay. Um. Yeah, weather weather was good to us, you know. It was cold, fun to hunt in, but not just freezing and miserable. So what were your expectations like on day one? Like, did you hunt the day you – you have to wait 24 hours or something like that, right, in Alaska? Is that well, true? it's not really 24 hours. Yeah, you can't hunt the same day you fly in because they consider if you're flying around and you spot one, then that's not fair chase. You can land the plane and go hike to it and kill it, no big deal. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I got you. Yeah, so, like, you say so you land at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, you can hunt the following morning. Absolutely. Okay, I got you. Yeah. As soon as sun comes up, you're good. Uh, okay. And, you know, the first – we got camp set up, first day. We're good. Buddy's kind of over his uh, <laughs> his missing missing ammunition. And we're up the, – the camp had a, a flat, is what he called it. But it's a platform built out of spruce trees. I don't know, 10 feet in the air. Get up there, yeah. and you, you can have a good vantage point, glass, call. Um, and we saw now I would say it would be a legal bull the first night. We're like, Oh heck yeah. Way out there, you know, half a mile away looking at him through binoculars, calling him. He's not coming to the call, but he notices it. And he's like, Oh, okay. So that was exciting. We saw our first bull. Remember, I've never seen this hunt was first forever. I've never seen a live moose on hoof till, right. till now. I've never flown in a little airplane that lands and takes off from water. I've never <laughs> camped in a fashion like that before, you know. I've never yeah. camped to where I can't just get in the truck and go to town and fill my gas tank. Right. You know, it's always been because it was fun. This is fun, but we also have to be in it to hunt. So Yeah. There were a lot of firsts there. So we saw our first bull. That was great. You know. Um and we saw moose every day except for two days while we were there. Bulls, cows, little bulls. Bulls that would come right to us for the call. But they weren't legal. They weren't legal. No, no. The first bull we, we successfully called to us 
I was, I was putting together a plan. You know, I, I got my sticks, my gun, I go out, I set up and, you know, really get a good look at it. And it's not legal, but you know. were you judging the width or you couldn't count brow tines or both? The width was a mystery to us. We had an idea based on articles and forums and whatnot we've read. So we said, we're just going to go easy. Anything, any bull with four brow tines on one side, he's going down. Yeah. Don't care what he looks like. We never saw a bull the entire trip with four brow tines. Really? No. And... Is that, a, to, is that speak, a characteristic of an older animal? It's genetics a lot like whitetail. You know, the, the game technician, you know, the, the fishing game technician for that area. Uh, we had talked to him, obviously doing homework and researching, you know, called him way in advance of our hunt. He was real impressed that we were able to get in there and uh, said, you guys are going to be upset at shooting the first legal bull you see because you're going to see much, much more bigger bulls there after that uh and that that area was known for large fronts now the the brow tines in alaska are referred to as brow tines but the bar talk is they call them fronts always oh, got okay. big fronts meaning you know his brow tines have really good mass a lot of long. tines long impressive whatever so if you hear somebody say oh that moose has got good fronts they're talking about his brow tines okay so uh, yeah, never saw one with four brow times. So then I was like, well, I guess we're going to have to start judging. Um, I don't know where we're we going with that. Uh, how you guys decided like what was 50 or larger or whatever, you know what I mean? Like not knowing and never seeing a live one on the hoof. I bet it would be, especially not seeing four brow times. It would probably be pretty nerve-wracking to go man if he's not 50 or he's got to be way over 50 for me to pull the trigger to make sure that you don't get in trouble you know yeah and that's the last thing we want to do is try to have to you know figure out an explanation well we thought he was 50 you know and, and there was a guy when we come back that sh a non-resident that shot a 40 inch oh no i don't know what happened to him but i don't want to be that guy yeah you know how are you if he's 59 and a half it's probably a little bit ar uh, easier to argue 49 and a half, you mean? Yeah, 49 and a half. I don't know. Yeah, what yeah. Um, so the rule of thumb is the eyes are set 10 inches apart. Each ear is 10 inches. So you got 30 inches there. You have to imagine another ear's length past the tip of his ears if he holds his ears flat. Yeah. And so ultimately, mine was legal. And, it, and he gave us an eternity to figure that out, which I'm very thankful for. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you, know. you, you shot your moose first? Yeah, that was, since my buddy goes to Alaska a lot, he decided I was going to shoot first. Okay. And I said, you know, I'm not going to argue with that. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that was made, that decision was made even before we got to camp. Oh, so, really? Yeah. We, I said, okay, cool. I was going to ask you how that conversation went because there's a lot of guys that, hunt with buddies or whatever and it's always an awkward or you know yeah and, and it is it can be awkward and we didn't have any expectation are we going to be hunting together the entire time 
are we going to wake up in the morning and go our separate ways? You just kind of have to, I mean, you can look at topos all day long. Yeah. But so you're to, actually there. So you're there and you figure it out and you're like, well, okay. It, it, it worked out better for us to hunt together. Well, what happens if you go this way and he goes that way and you both have a moose down? That's a ton of work. Yeah. I'd embrace, I'd embrace it. That's not work anymore. <laughs> That's a lot of fun. No, I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> Yeah, it's just a different kind of uh, activity. <laughs> so now that we've let the cat out of the bag that you shot a moose, yeah. what, what day did you shoot your moose on? And what was the terrain like and how did he come in and all that stuff? Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to back up a little bit. Okay. Day four and five didn't see anything, and we're looking at each other like, uh-oh. Like, what's going on? This season is set by Alaska to be pre-rut. Okay. Right. So that means we're probably going to expect to see something seeking, chasing, whatever. I'm like, and well, I'm assuming we, they do like any it? other ungulate that, you know, before they actually come into heat, they're still kind of, hey, girls are getting ready. Let's go take a gander, see what's That's out right. there. That's okay. what I would, would expect. But day, you know, day one, two, and three, we're seeing moose. We're calling some little bulls in. Uh, it looks like. And then four and five didn't see anything. We looked at each other. wonder if they're locked up. I wonder if we missed it. wonder if rut is right now. Like peak of the rut means every bull's got a cow. Mm -hmm. And we're not going to see anything for like a week. And then it's going to be too late. The morning of day six, it was a switch. It froze so dang hard that morning. The fog didn't lift to like 1030 in the morning. So we're we're hunting like 50 yard vantage at that point. Can't see anything. The fog would come up and it would go back down, up and down. But we are hearing cows to the west, to the east, back to the north. They're calling. Really? Now we start modifying our call to sound like them. Oh, yeah. Uh, we hear bulls destroying trees, you know. Wow. In the we fog. In the fog. We oh. saw one come in and my buddy was up in the stand. I'm like, you see him? Yeah, I got him. He's too little. He's pretty good, but he's too little. You know, he's probably 50 yards from our camp. No but it was, it was a switch, man. It, it just it went crazy from there. So morning of day six, uh, day, afternoon, I guess they, they worked it out of their system, didn't see a whole lot. Morning of day seven, a little slow. I remember we had our, our lunch beer and our lunch. I crawled up in the stand. My buddy's, you know, doing a journal down on the ground, reading his book. And I'm calling, glassing, and I, I get that little nod going on, like sun's hit me in the face, and it feels good. I'm, my head's bobbing a little bit. Like I'm, I'm, I might have a nap, but I, I'm probably not going to because I'm up here. <laughs> <laughs> and I look up and to the west where we haven't seen a moose the whole time, Nothing, no activity out there. Look to the west. What is that out there? Got my binos. It's a spot. By that time, you've got every tree memorized in the binoculars. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, there he is. So I was like, Sean, we got to go. Uh, grab the gun, the sticks. And just as we're, you know, a yard, five yards out of camp, he destroys some brush and he lays down, which is like, cool, we can make this stock. Um, we got in a good spot where we liked it. I don't know, 100 plus yards out. And we agreed, okay, you're going to call. He's going to stand up. We're going to look at him. 
And he did that and just stood statue still after he stood up and looked at us for 30 minutes. Wow. Yeah. I, it had to have been 30 minutes. So you got plenty of time to look at his wits and, and all and that. eternity. And he's looking, you know, he's straight on to us. So we're looking at brow tines. The one I shot has got a bay tine, meaning bef- where his front ends and his palm starts. He's got a big giant tine on his left side. Uh, yeah, his left side. I think that's right. Um, and I'm like, do we count that? He's got three and three for sure, but is that other side, is that a bay tine or is that part of his front structure? I don't know. Is he 50? I don't know. So <laughs> long conversation, tons of video on that, you know, from the phone, uh, going back and forth, trying to get comfortable. Is he, is he a shooter? Don't know. Well, it, it, God kind of dis- decided that for me because he never really gave us a shot unless I, unless I chest, chest punch him, you know, and that's, I don't feel comfortable taking that shot. Sure. You know, if that's I a get lot a of f- meat and a lot of bone to go through. Yeah. You know, hit him in the chest. If it's a good hit, it'll kill him. If it's not, I get a flyer, I hit him in the face or, you know, glances off his shoulder. It's over. So, uh, he finally, he finally, uh, quartered away or quartered two and gave me a broadside shot. And I, I don't know. I just felt it. I took it. So he dropped on the first shot. He's down. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. So we go back to camp, get a tape measure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because that's the first thing a guy does for sure. Well, yeah, I'm like, I'm going to get a tape measure. I want to know, well, did I make the right decision? I, sh- I should have had faith in that. So we're, I don't know, 20 yards out, and this thing's kicking still. He gets up. Oh, no. Yeah, he gets up, and he starts walking off, and I drop him again. And then on third round, once I walk up to him, He's done, and he's 55 and, like, three-eighths. Oh, sweet. No, no, 53 and three-eighths, sorry. Yeah, 53. It's legal all day long. So high fives and smiles around for everybody. High fives. You know, we hadn't really seen much moose activity in the midday, and this was probably 3 o'clock. Really? Okay. Yeah. And then today, midday, in a spot, there was no moose the whole time. And I don't know how he got over there, you know, because from Are that vantage that, we had, I don't... you would have seen him cross or whatever or came from a different spot. You would have seen him. I, we should have been able to. Yeah. Yeah. Unless he was bedded over there the entire morning. And then he just decided to get up, walk around and then bed back down. I don't know. Hmm. I don't know. That's, that's still a mystery to me. I'd, I'd like answers on that, but I'll never get them. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. We had plenty of daylight left to work on him. What time did the sun go down? Uh, full dark is you don't want to be outside of camp at 830. Okay. I mean, so the you got about time, five hours to get him taken care of. We got five hours, you know, so we go back to camp and load up our, our tools and get to work. And that was, that was a new experience too. You know, it's always fun to see an animal you've never seen before. And then you can see the inside of him too. Yeah, it's it's to me anatomy is is fascinating. So, mm-hmm. um, so how long did it take you guys? Did you get him all cut up and, and out of there in, in one afternoon? That that was our game plan, and we had talked. You know, every scenario we talked out. You know, what if there's bears? What if there's this? What do we do if that happens? Uh, Are there brown bears in that area? 
I don't know. Never saw a bear. Never saw any bear sign. Okay. I, I wouldn't. I, I bet there is, but I never. We never saw anything to make us believe that. Gotcha. Um. Yeah. Drop the moose. Go get. Go get tools and work on it. Man, those things. I, the best way I can destri- describe moose. When you put your hands on it, they are prehistoric. They're from the ice age. Really. Yeah, the, there's parts of them that resemble whitetail. You know, parts really reminds me of a horse. The way the nose is, the way the muscle structure is on, you know, the, the hindquarters. Mm-hmm. Big, giant scapula shoulders. Giant bone in the, in the shoulder, in the, in the, you know, front quarters. Yeah. Just really odd and, and interesting at the same rate. What do you think that bull weighed? I have no idea. They say, they say, you know, a mature bull, which is, you know, three, four years and older, is anywhere from 16 to 1,800 pounds. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Whoa. Yeah, big, giant, huge. <laughs> so, so take me to the, through the process. Um, I know that you had talked to me beforehand about uh, how much salt to take, you know, to salt capes and stuff like that. And did that play a, a, a factor into things? And what did you do first? And how did you start? And what, yeah. what cuts did you get out and all that? How'd that go? Yeah, the process, you know, early on of doing all the research of if we get one, I'm for sure going to do a shoulder mount. How do, you, how do you handle a cape? So, you know, through our research, they say, oh, a cape needs at least 25 pounds of salt. That's 50 pounds that we got to account for. Yeah. And we've, we don't want to shoot a moose. I don't want to take 50 pounds of salt field. Yeah. But should we? Yeah. So we didn't take any salt. Oh, no. We didn't take a lick of salt. And I, and I don't really regret that because as cold as it got at night. Yeah. Um, so keep them in the shade. You should be good, huh? Yeah. So our, our game plan was, and, and that this is helpful with the forums as well, rock slide are okay, slide is a great Alaskan forum. Uh, but the stuff that we read, if, if you have enough time to get them broke down, don't gut them. Okay. Because I don't want to stand in 300 pounds of guts. And 300 pounds of guts, I can't just pick up and move to uh, an area out of my work area. And I can't pick up the carcass and move it away from the guts. That's a good point. I never would have thought of that. But, yeah, it makes a ton of sense. Yeah, I don't want to walk in that. You're going to be there for three, four hours working on this thing. It's just a hassle. Mm-hmm. Now, if we would have shot him at last light, absolutely. Go over there and pull the guts out. You know, get that, get his carcass as cool as possible. And removing the guts will help you with that. But Yeah, and then work on him the next day or whatever. And then work on him the next day. But we had yeah. lots of light left. So, okay, we're, we're into our skinning mode and uh, just pulling meat off the bone. You know, I was another hunting buddy that used to work as a butcher. And he says, you never... You never pull meat off the bone. You pull the bone off the meat, which if you apply that to your knife, it makes sense. Yeah. And it, it makes deboning a lot easier. Well, and you keep so, your knife away from that bone, too, which is going to dull your knife quicker. You're just going to dull your knife. I mean, yeah. I, I sharpened my knife probably 10 times before I got the skin pulled off. Wow. Yeah. So this, this hide is, yeah. And their hair is long, <laughs> too, huh? Their hair is long, and it's about as coarse as probably, I don't know, 30 test monofilament. Wow. It's, it's coarse hair. They call it guard hair. 
I don't know. It's, it's, yeah, it's no joke. So did you start up by the skull and go down his back? Is that how the incision you made or? Uh, yeah, I, I went, you know, kind of from his belly up into his back behind his front shoulder and then up his, his, uh, neckline on the back, made a wide of the antler base and tried to get, tried to get as much as possible. That way I didn't get into his hide, mm-hmm. um, you know, with his cape off and then you got to, then you got to manipulate a hundred pound cape and then inside out it or a hundred pound cape, the cape. Yeah. I, there's components. I lift at work that are close or up above that. I would guess the capes about a hundred pounds. Wow. Yeah. With, you know, flesh and all that on it. So sure. Um, it's, it's no joke. Wow. <laughs> uh, it's heavy. Oh, man. <laughs> I slept good that night. I bet. <laughs> well, actually, the night after that. So, yeah, we got his cape off. So we just put skin to skin and rolled it up and call it good. You know, I, we didn't bring salt. We didn't, we didn't have time to work on it. Uh, the cape looks awesome, I think. I think it'll be fine. Did you split and turn the ears and all that on it? Or did you no, not do that? I okay. didn't do that. No. Nope. Didn't do that. Got him, got all of them. We lay out a tarp on the tundra, you know, and we just start taking, taking meat, putting that on, on the tarp and just leave it. Yeah. Let, let it get some air and let it get some air. It'll cool down overnight. It's freezing in the morning consistently now. So we're good as far as the meat goes. So and you put the meat on the tarp and then came back and got it the next day? The next morning. Yeah. Okay. We hunted the next morning of the eighth day, about nine o'clock. It wasn't you know, nothing was really going on. So let's go, let's go to work. Uh, you know, frame packs. They say a moose will yield about 12 pillowcases if it's about 50 pounds per pillowcase. That's what we use for game bags was just cheap cotton pillowcases. So 600 pounds of meat. Yeah. Plus the rack, plus the cake. Wow. Yeah. I bet the rack was not light either, huh? Yeah, 40, 50 pounds, yeah. Wow, man. Can you That's... imagine hauling that around on your head all day? <laughs> I would think it'd get cold, man. As cold as it gets there, how do you keep that from just freezing your head? Yeah, I don't know. That's a good the, point. The skull plate's at least three inches thick. Wow. It took an hour for us to cut the skull plate from that from that moose. And that, I remember you telling me the pilot wouldn't let you fly full skull on the plane, right? Now, I don't remember if I told you that. I think I did kind of infer that basically because the the transport said no bones you bring me you got to put all the bones out so i just assume well they're not going to let us bring a skull like who shoots a moose and keeps the skull yeah. they're gonna they're gonna shoulder mount it yeah when we got back to the airstrip they have this big tarp in the hangar and there's everybody's skulls and antlers and racks and all that laid out on a tarp and yeah the guys bring the entire head back i guess the euro's real popular there Hmm. It is. Okay. So, good to know. Uh, so, yeah, you can bring the, the entire skull back. We chose not to. And it takes about an hour to cut that from the head. Wow. Okay. <laughs> and it's, you know, a lot of labor getting that off. I bet. A lot of bone there. So, you, the next day, 9 o'clock rolls around, and then you start packing me. How we many start, trips did it take? Uh, six trips plus the cape. My buddy hauled the antlers. Um you know, he, he was, I was gung ho, man. I was so, 
so incredibly just satisfied with the whole thing because I, I killed a bull. What could be better? I said, man, yeah. I'm going to haul this cape by myself. He wanted to string it up on a pole and, and buddy system over there. I said, that's going to take forever, dude. I'm putting this on my pack, and we're going to go. <laughs> so that was probably the heaviest load, huh? Was that was the, the heaviest cape? load, yeah. 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 So, yeah, you get it to the bank. You call the plane. We rented a sat phone, you know, just in case. Call the wife every couple of days. Uh, call the plane. I'm alive. Say, hey, yeah, I'm alive. Uh, call the plane. Hey, there's, there's a moose on the bank. When are you going to be here? So he showed up uh, afternoon of day eight to pick okay. it up. So you killed it on day six or day no, seven. Seven. Yeah. seven. Got him packed out to camp on day eight. He was there eight afternoon, right? Eight afternoon. He picked him okay. up. Um, you know, we didn't really hunt real hard that evening. We had brought a skillet. I had made a, like a campfire grate. We made a nice fire. We had some bacon grease left over. Mm-hmm. Made some skillet, moose meat. In the skillet, we had steaks, onions, and uh, potatoes. That was our champion beat our chest meal. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so good. <laughs> I bet. Yeah, it was awesome. And you uh, burned a ton of calories hauling that sucker out of there, too, I bet. Yeah, man, I lost 10 pounds or better on that whole trip. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, just not getting enough in, not sleeping right, you know. Right. Working with the moose. Yeah. Good though. So like whenever you whenever you shot the moose and he went down and, and it's a done deal, you you've taken the animal and it's it's over. What was the if you could pick one word to describe how you felt or what you were going through, what would you say? It's tough because I didn't have any expectations, you know. Right. There was little things like, man, I thought we would camp next to the water on the lake. Or, you know, little things like that, you know. I thought we would be hunting separately. I'd come, you know, leave in the morning, come back in the evening. But, yeah, one word, it's just incredible. It's just, you know, a lot, like you said, everybody's dream hunt is to go somewhere away from everyone and just hunt where you camp and ultimately kill what you're after. Yeah. Uh, so, so one word, it's incredible. Yeah. I knew it would be fun, but I didn't know, you know, all the time away from home, family, all the money you spend, all the preparation. It's like, am I really crazy for doing this? <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> yes. not. Oh, really? Okay. I don't, I don't regret any of it. That's good. I don't. It's been almost a life changing experience. Wow. Yeah. Spiritually. Uh, you know, just just the fun I had, the bond I had with the buddy I went with. Uh, That's something you'll never forget. Never, never. And, and, you know, I hold a lot of guilt on myself for, for doing stuff like this because I'm gone from my family for work a lot. Yeah. And then, and then you, you compound that by your hobby being gone. And then you try to get your kids and your wife into it. And it's so relieving. Call home. He's like, I got one. Yeah. And everybody in the background screams and hollers. Yeah. You know? That was probably a big weight lifted off of you. Like, okay. It's not so much weight. It's just like you want to share that with your family. And I, yeah. Yeah. It, it was the all encompassing hunt. You know, everything went so well. And then my buddy on day nine, he knocked one down too. 
That's incredible. So, you know, he got to shoot and kill a moose, and we both had success. <laughs> Which is probably unheard of, right? For for two of you, non-residents, never been, go it's, up there. It's, to a... Yeah. It's not unheard of, but we got that feeling that they did not expect that from us once we got back to civilization. They're like, damn, you Okies can freaking shoot. Well, yeah, and there's <laughs> there's repeat customers up there that, that looked at us and were like, where did you go? How did you do it? Tell me exactly what you did. Like, yeah. you know, you know, every hunter wants that edge. Sure. And it, we'll we'll get it if we have to work for it. But if somebody gives us a piece to that edge, then just by asking, yeah, we'll take that too. Yeah. So <laughs> that that was that was new to me. Like, oh, I'm I haven't had a whole lot of success in my life with hunting. I've always been pleased with myself, but that kind of success. It was right. interesting to be on that side of the the ball as far as uh, you know, other people wanting to know how'd I do it, where'd I go? From guys that kind of walk the walk i guess yeah yeah the guy the guys we roomed with in the air uh, airport or whatever they didn't <laughs> they killed a 65 inch but they were all curious about how we were able to do it two guys never been before on a lake hunt which isn't supposed to produce big bulls hmm supposedly i don't know so what did his bull measure at uh buddy's bull measured 55 plus uh, you know, and is there again, we saw him come from the tree line that we had been glassing and it was kind of at the, the Southwestern part of our, our vantage. I'd never seen any activity over there. Midday, he come right out of the tree line and I knew instantly it was a good one. Didn't yeah. have to look at him, but just once is good. And he didn't have four brow tines either, huh? No, three and three. Wow. Yeah huh so was it kind of the same process on getting his well did you go gutless method on his and kind of the same routine as you did on yours it was the same process same routine only man we were, we're experienced now yeah you know you probably shaved some time here and there learning like oh yeah. this worked last time but not this you know what i mean or, exactly yeah. yeah i mean uh you know we had read in the forums a uh, 14 inch back saw took antlers from the skull right off Hmm. And it didn't work real well for mine. I said, Man, we're leaving that. Throw that saw away. You know, the aggressive tooth limb saw works a lot better. Okay. So, or a cordless, uh, you know, reciprocating sawzall if you want to <laughs> pack the split, extra weight. Split, yeah, if you want the extra weight. <laughs> yeah. Wow, yeah, yeah. Incredible. We were experienced there, and you know, we hauled them out, and that was the same day we were due to leave. Day 10 for us was the uh, – day 9 for us was the last day of legal season. Day 10 okay. was our last day in camp. Gotcha. You know? And so they – did you go ahead and radio in to them, and they came and picked you up in the same manner, got his moose out of there, and it came back? It, it was it was guys? a little different. There was other hunters of, of other uh, camps that were going out, so they had to juggle. My buddy and I, I, I rode in a separate plane back than he did uh, to a separate location. Um, wow. yeah, but it was, so whenever hair... they picked you up, did they have the little uh, Piper cub again? Yeah. You took yeah. one the, guy the, and then the, the reason guy? why they used that Piper cub for where we were at 
is the lake's too small and too shallow to land a bigger plane on. Gotcha. So there's a reason for everything, I guess. But yeah, that's that's the reason. Did you end up being the second guy out or the first guy out? I was the last guy out. Was that time alone in that place, just you and the mountain? Was that was that cool? Me and the lake? Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, if if anybody ever decided to do this by themselves, I it would be honorable, you know, courageous, I would say, but I don't think they'd have as much fun, you know. Well, to it's fun it, to, to bounce ideas them. off of and share with somebody too, you know. Yeah, an experience with someone else, uh, you know, just the overall safety factor of the buddy system. Sure. It's not it's not a place or a hunt or anything like that where you would want to try to say, oh, I'm going to do this on my own. I don't need anybody. You know, there's always that what if, and, and if you don't have a buddy like that to go experience it with, and I don't think it'd be too smart or too much enjoyable, but right. Yeah. I mean, it's awesome. You sit there and, and it, that, I was the same way on the way in to camp. I was the last guy to go and I had to sit there at the shore bank for about an hour. And, you know, I can do this. <laughs> I can hang out here in nature and, and enjoy it by myself for a little while. Yeah. So what was the process once you got back to quote unquote civilization like, you know, getting your meat home and your hide home and your horns home and all that. How did that, what's the, what's the process there? Yeah, that's where we really fell short as far as our preparation goes. We, okay. we had talked about it, but we didn't have any concrete plans of what do we do once we get back? So the, the transport company has a cold storage to hang the meat in cold storage, not a freezer. And we have a minivan for a rental car. So we got to get meat and racks and all our gear packed in there and get back to Anchorage. That's what we thought we needed to do. Would have done that differently. Would have stayed another night in Toke, taken our meat and got it frozen instantly. And then made the trip back. This is a six-hour drive from where we are back to Anchorage. But okay. that's not the way we did it. We went back to Anchorage, found freezer, got everything frozen sawed our skull plates in half just to make it easier to package the rack for the airplane. My buddy works for American Airlines, so there was some perks there of shipping meat and racks and cape home. Uh, so yeah, what do you mean? Well, he, he can ship parcels for inexpensive. Okay, I got you. And, and, and we chose not to keep all the meat. We kept 100 pounds a piece, you know, choice cuts, a little bit of the hindquarter, and then I'd say the back straps on those things weigh about 60 pounds, you know, 30 pounds per side. Wow. Yeah. You don't have to butterfly those. They're, they're, <laughs> yeah. I mean, the thickest part of that back strap is probably a good eight ounce steak. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So, well, you said you uh, opted not to keep it all. What'd you do with the rest of it? The transport company is more than happy to accept donations. Really? Okay. Yeah. And if they run to where they can't take, you know, they say we're full, we don't want any more. Everybody there that works there doesn't want any more. Then they give it to uh, tribal elders in the area, you know, the old guys from the, the tribes that don't hunt anymore. And they love it. Moose awesome. meat is primo in Alaska. Right. It is. It really is. So, and it is good, you know, eating it. It's, it's good stuff. I like it. So what's the next step now? Uh, the next step now, I'm still, I'm still, 
I'm still swimming in it, man. It's still great experience just to go back. You know, you go to work, you try to reinsert yourself to civilization and but it's tough. <laughs> it's, it's, it's okay. I wouldn't say it's tough, but man, I'd like to go back and hunt moose again. Do you think you ever will? Sure. Uh, I don't know. I'd like to do caribou. In that really... same general area, is there any caribou up that way? Oh, yeah. We never saw caribou. But, yeah, there's that, that same company does caribou uh, drops. Okay. So you but could do are... a DIY caribou hunt with the same Abs- company. Absolutely. Okay. And they, yeah, they hang their hat on a moose, caribou, and sheep. Wow. So but you're yeah, the it's still too fresh to know whether you would can say definitively whether you would or would not go back. That's right. Yeah, it's still too fresh. I mean, I'm yeah. sure by next year or year after. If I if I did this uh, you know, with my financial status and where my family is at this point in life, I would probably be a every three to five year guy if I did it. Did it Which again. It's definitely would be awesome. Yeah, it's definitely not an every year for me because, I mean, next week's opening for Bo, and I'm not, like, super excited about going just because, like, this is still – I'm still hanging on this. Yeah. And I say, like, next year, yeah, I, I want to get out there the first week of bow season. I still want that. So. Well, you said earlier, you know, how – you know, you, you, you love to hunt, you know, and you're gone a lot for work and then you go, you know, you go hunting and, you know, you spend time away doing that, which I'm in the same boat. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't necessarily travel for work a lot anymore, but you know, I'm gone every day and, you know, doing my thing. And then a trip comes up where, you know, I go to Montana or, you know, travel to Texas to do some, some hunting down there and, you know, spend a weekend or, you know, going to Colorado elk hunting, you know, I might spend 12 to 14 days up there in the mountains and that's hard. It, it almost feels selfish. It, like, it feels, yeah. it does. It does. And I'm not a selfish person by nature, so it does feel selfish. And it's awkward, you know, but luckily I have a great wife who is. Yeah, you do. <laughs> go, go and chase your you know your dreams and your passions this is what we are on earth to do this is what you're made to do is to go and chase these animals and have fun in the woods completely agree and you know my wife's real big into horses and a lot of that stuff is in the spring and summertime and i help her with that and we we go do our thing there and then you know she knows fall and winter and you know all of my family know well where are you headed next week or whatever you know and that's a lot of fun and and it can feel selfish at times but at the same time, if you have a, you know, a spouse that is understanding and, and loves you and know, you know, tells you to go chase, chase your dream, it, it makes it that much easier. And it, I think a lot of people don't get that in this world. No, they don't. You're exactly right. I think right. that there's too many people that have spouses, whether it's their husband or their wife, that, you know, kind of hold a grudge or hold resentment against you for going and chasing your dreams. And that's not fair. No, it's not, you know, no, it's not, but I understand it does happen. And I have friends that happens. Yeah. It's too bad, but I understand there again. I'm, I'm blessed in the same way. Yeah. You know, I feel bad. Hey baby, I'm sorry. I got to go hunt this weekend. Go, (laughs) you just got to go. Yeah. I got to, I got, you just, she says, you just got to go and do it. Well, 
you know, for, for guys like you and me and, and other people around, that's, that's our time to reset. You know, we're busting our butts at work and at home and got to yeah. mow the yard and, oh, we had a storm blow through. I got to trim limbs or whatever. You need that factory reset to put you back right with the world. And whether that's going on a golfing trip or a deep sea fishing trip or a hunting trip to Alaska, everybody needs something <laughs> to reset their life. To put in perspective why you're on earth, what you're here, what you're designed to do in this life. Everybody's designed for something different. And we have to, I, I just wish that more people could figure that out earlier in their lives than when they're on their deathbed. If That's we could all true. do that, the world would be a better place. That's very true. That's very true. And I haven't always been into hunting, you know. I grew up, uh, my dad was big into birds. And so we did a lot of bird hunting, but get big game was kind of like it wasn't on the table. And, you know, I kind of got introduced to it from a, uh, another buddy at work talking well, about deer, deer hunting. And I said, hey, I want to try that. Yeah. What's the deal with deer hunting? Why is it so popular? I want, I want to just give it a shot. And How man, old were you when you first started big game hunting? 30. 10 wow. years ago. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's, I love hearing that because, I mean, I, I started, you know, hunting deer and stuff like that when I was, you know, 8, 9, 10 years old. And yeah, you probably had a, you know, dad or mentor or somebody that. You know, yeah. My grandpa, said, my uncle's cousin. You're going to experience this. Yeah. You, take, you take it where you want it when you're older but you're going to experience it for now. And I do that with my kids. Yeah. I say, you, you may never want to hunt again when you leave my house, but at least you're going to be here, you know, and, and I'm going to put the gun in your hands. And if you don't want to shoot, that's fine. But you're going to experience it. Sure. So, and you know, what's crazy is my dad, you know, used to be a hardcore hunter. When I was growing up, he had a deer lease and he would tell you, that was back when Oklahoma rifle season was only nine days long. <laughs> and it, and, you know, it was that week of Thanksgiving and all that. Yeah. And he would take off that whole week of work and the weekend before and the weekend after and, and go hunting. And he said, if I saw a deer, it was successful. And as I got older, he got out of it, man. He said, I, I don't do well with the cold anymore. He's got arthritis and stuff real bad. Understandable. And he said, I ain't mad at him no more. So yeah. you can have it. And, I just can't fathom people falling out of love with the outdoors and stuff like that. You know, he'll still go like if it's, you know, he's a fair weather hunter, you know, or I'm like, ah, go crawl, crawl up in the blind with me this evening or whatever. And he'll go do that, but he doesn't eat, sleep and breathe it like you and I do, you know? Yeah. No. Yeah. I get it. I completely understand that. And my, my father, you know, he was not so much against big game hunting. But it, it was just something he adamantly said, I'll never have a passion for that. But we can do dogs and we can do birds and, and this. But now, oh, he wants every detail. He wants to experience it through me, <laughs> which I find it kind of interesting. But Yeah. So you're uh, from Colorado originally, right? Yeah, I was born in Colorado and I moved to Oklahoma uh, when I was 14 years old. Gotcha. Does your dad yeah. still live up that way? No, no. He, I moved with my father. When I got you, when, when, when we moved to Oklahoma, I moved with my father, mom and all her family still there. Uh, and I go up there and visit and uh, it's beautiful, but I would never, <laughs> I'd never live there. Really? Even with no. all the hunting opportunities in Colorado? Mm -hmm. Yeah. The man, the government and the, the way it's all set up there is just, 
it just rubs me wrong. Really? Yeah, I'm okay. not a conspiracy guy, but that that they <laughs> they have ruined that state. Really? Yeah. Just to live there. Yeah. Now, hunting, fishing, visiting, I'm all for it. Right. Have you hunted Colorado? Uh as far as big game now. Yeah. No. I probably will. You know, I've I've had opportunities to go elk hunt uh and and do some mule stuff mule deer stuff there but i you know this is the first one first big trip that i've taken that i was like i'm gonna do this and it was an, it was an opportunity and a timing thing so it was like i i gotta do it you know well it goes back to, to that being self, selfish thing again we were talking about where you know it's not really my money yeah i work and it's a paycheck with my name on it, but it's really not my money. Sure. And and, the, and that kind of pulls at my heartstrings a little bit with the family. And man, I just dumped a bunch of money on it. Well, who cares? I had the time of my life <laughs> and I was fearful of feeling guilty for it on other opportunities. And this time I, I just went for it. Yeah. Just went for it. So if you don't mind sharing with us, like what, what does that hunt cost you out the door for, to get there, your tag, your license and get back for a DIY drop lake camp type hunt? Like if somebody else was interested you'd be like, oh, I can never afford that. You know, if we could put some numbers into perspective. And you gotta, you gotta think it, the way we did it and the way we planned to do it was, it wasn't just write a check and you're there. Yeah. So it wasn't like, well, I can't make that in a paycheck. We did, you know, and everybody, even like the taxidermist or the transport company, they want a down payment or a deposit, whatever you want to call it. So you can break that up and you can pay for it as you go. And obviously there was gear bought for this trip that I didn't have. So, I mean, transport was $2,400 a person. That was the plane to fly you into the lake and haul you and all your stuff out. You and your 50 pounds. Okay. And that's, that's 40 mile air. Awesome. If I go back to Alaska and I do a, a drop hunt, whether it's lake or ridge top or whatever, I'm going to use them. They so were, you recommend 40 mile air? Yes, absolutely. If you can hunt with them, awesome. They, they, I mean, they were on top of everything. Well, they're pros. From the and they've, been, they've been doing it for uh, 50 years. Oh, know? wow. I think they started in 1959 doing this. Wow. And they, they scout. They know where the animals are. So they don't take you to a bullcrap camp just to get you there. They they're, they're have your best interest in mind anyway. That's right. I got you. They want you happy. They want you safe. And they want you to come back. So is this public area or is it like a? a... It's all public area. Okay. All, all of it. Yeah, it's uh, what you would consider or have heard of as BLM land. You know, okay. Bureau of Land Management. Yeah, it's all it's all public. It's it's all ours through tax money, right? <laughs> yeah. But yeah. So anybody can. It's go not hunt. like a what? concession or whatever that they have complete access to or whatever. It's just yeah. they happen to have the planes to get you in there, and they know where to go. Yeah. And they know where the animals are, and you know we ask that question: What's to stop me from buying a float plane and just? flying into this lake and hunting next year. And they, they said, nothing, there's nothing to stop that. You know, probably gonna hurt somebody's feelings, but yeah, legally now nah, we can do that. So why don't other companies that do the same thing that 40 mile air does, why don't well, they I, 
yeah, and I think that's a big thing in Alaska. You know, that's their bread and butter. That's how they pay their bills, it, you know, partially is through tourism. And if, if they start stabbing each other in the back, then, yeah, you know. That could get tricky. That could get real tricky. That could make a lot of enemies. And, you know, they're, they're real big. You know, they say Okies are like the most friendliest people in the whole country. And I, I don't know if that's true because I've met a lot of awesome people in a lot of different states. In Alaska, man, everybody was really, really welcoming. So I don't see them as being people that would play games like that. Well, most everybody you met up there, you were writing a check to <laughs> or swiping your card. So, this yeah, they're going to be nice. This is true. Uh, you know, and that was a big thing I was wondering about. Do I tip the pilot? Yeah. Do I tip these? Well, no, I just donated 500 pounds of meat to them. And, you know, I didn't I didn't ever feel like I needed to tip them. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I didn't. Maybe I should have. But I don't I don't know what the, the protocol. protocol is for that. Yeah. So. Yeah, the price was, you know, 2400 bucks a guy. Uh, they do two or three guys. They will do a single guy, but there's a lot of a lot of hoops to jump through. And like I said, I don't recommend that. You know, why would you just go by yourself? Uh, a meat haul, if you, so, you know, you pull the trigger and knock one down, the price changes. Yeah. Uh, you know, a meat haul is 1000 bucks. Whoa. So you pay them 1000 to come pick up your meat and take it back. So you got to hand them a thousand bucks when they show up to get you or you pay half. No, that no. Af- after when you, when you get back and you settle up when you get back. Okay. Um, so you don't have to leave them 500 bucks to be like, well, in case I knock one down, here's half no, the money. And if I don't kill not. one, I'll get that 500 back or whatever. No, they're okay. Like I said, they're, they know how to do it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> if they did that, I probably wouldn't recommend them. Like, who wants to operate that way, you know, yeah, client, I, client or vendor. I don't, I wouldn't want to do it that way. So I hear you. Um, yeah. The, the gear haul, the extra 200 pounds was a thousand, you know, I thought that was worth it. So, and so did my buddy and we decided. So 500 you know, per person to get that extra 200 bucks. That's 200 right. Pounds in there? Okay. Yeah. That made camp real enjoyable. So uh, the one thing you wish you would have brought was more bacon. Is mm. there anything that you, that you took that you didn't ever use? The twenty two rifle. Yeah, we, we took a pop shot at one ptarmigan, like one of the three ptarmigan we saw. <laughs> uh, I would have brought a shotgun. There was ducks all over that lake. Really? Yeah. What did you guys do for drinking water? Filtered it out of the lake. Okay. That's so that's right. probably one of the advantages of having the lake there is you got plenty of water. Yeah. We brought two filters. Okay. One filtration system and one backup filter. Did you do a lot of redundancy on stuff for that reason? Well, some of those things, you know, like extra food, we brought extra food. Because what if we get, you know, our pickup day is terrible weather and it's bad for a couple of days. Yeah. Bring extra food. Okay. You know, because if you're stuck out there, you're stuck out there. Mm-hmm. You don't want to be hungry and miserable. Of course, by then we had plenty of plenty of moose meat. Yeah, but what if you didn't kill something, you know? What if? Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of time spent thinking about, well, if that happens, then we'll do this. But if this doesn't happen, what's our plan B? Uh, yeah, our filter froze the first morning. <laughs> and it Is cracked. that like one of those Brita filters that you pour the water in and come back it, a little bit later and it's all dripped through or what? No, no, it's, a, it's, it's, it's like a bag system. With, it's a Sawyer. Okay. Uh, it's a gravity feed. 
and you just you hold your bottle under it and let it fill up. You empty the bag, filter as much as you can. I would I'll, probably would have brought another bottle because we, we didn't get enough water. We we're only able to filter. The bag holds a gallon, and we each had you know a 32-ounce Nalgene bottle. We, we didn't go without water, but we should have provisioned for being able to have more on hand. We would have done that differently next time. Is there a reason why you didn't run both filters at the same time? We just had one for backup, just in case. I got you. So the one, the one froze and cracked the first morning. Useless. So thank that, goodness you brought the second one, huh? Then, yeah, the second one well, went in the sleeping bag at night. <laughs> I bet. So we, we treated it like gold. Yeah, I mean, and that's your probably, lifeline. We probably would have been okay drinking the lake water straight from the lake. But there again, I, I don't want to be sick on day six. Yeah. You're not going to die. You're just going to have diarrhea. You're just going to have to be miserable. Yeah. Did you guys take uh, tablets or anything as a backup? Absolutely. So when you fly, it's not mentioned or recommended or required, but you should have a small bag of like, what if the plane goes down? Have you ever read the book Hatchet? Mm -mm. Read it. What, What if your plane goes down and it goes in the lake and you can't get your stuff out, but you get out? You should carry something on you that, you know, you can a compass and a cigarette lighter, a way to make fire, you know, emergency boy, it matches. Stuff like that. So, yeah, we had tablets, and that's one of those things in my little emergency kit that goes in my cargo pocket, tablets to filter water, you know. Man, that sounds like a, a heck of a hunt and a heck of a trip for sure. It's awesome. It was real good. Yeah, I would have left the twenty-two rifle. We would have done some different things with water filtration. Um, you know, I'd like a better hatchet for wood. I would have left the back saw. Those roofing razor blades, uh, I say roofing, shingle razor blades, they work great for a gut hook. Oh, yeah. And, okay. and that, I and never would have thought of that. And it's not. We, really, we didn't gut our animals, but we did have to pull the hide off. Yeah, but hooking that in there and going down his back or whatever to open him up would have been perfect. Yeah, perfect. So a little utility knife with with those, uh, and then the straight jobs that fit in this in the same knife, great for doing uh, pulling the cape off a skull. You know, some of that some of that tissue is really tough, mm-hmm. and it's small area to get in there, so it's hard to use your uh, your hunting knife for that. Um. You know, I brought two knives. I never touched my second knife, but what if you lose it or it breaks? I don't know. I yeah, brought a knife sharpener. You. you know, knife sharpener was a it was a win for sure. Because I like a stone or one of those little handheld. It's you buy them at Walmart for like eight bucks. It's a handheld deal. It's got the little V notch in it. That's what I use all the time, man. They're nice. You lose it and it breaks. You just go buy another one, uh, and you know. <laughs> We we're working on this thing and it, the, the, the spikes on these antlers, you just set it on there and it holds it <laughs> and you grab That's it. That's awesome. And we're just back and forth with that sharpener the whole time. Oh, I bet. Constantly. Uh, that, that worked good. Bigger tarps, more tarps. You know, we had enough, but, you know, a moose meat to keep enough air on it, you should have a 12 by 12 tarp. Wow. And we had 8 by 10s. 
Okay. Some of that meat was real close to each other. Some of it was stacked, the smaller pieces. Yeah, so, frame pack, got to have frame pack, got to have hip boots. Didn't wear hip boots except for getting on the plane and getting off the plane. Yeah, keep your feet dry. But, you know, what? yeah, and you're going to be up to your knees in the water. No yeah. big deal, but I don't want to get my boots wet, my hiking boots wet first day. So Yeah, and, and you then know, you're free... squishing around for eight Ooh, days. Gross, yeah. yeah. And we did that. We fought that a lot with our boots getting wet just from sweat, you know. Yeah. Just so how, how much hiking did you do while you were there? Well, we did more than we should have. You know, we, we saw a lot of activity about a half mile from camp and we got frustrated, you know, day four, day five, we're up there. We go up there, we build a platform um, and we hunt from there a couple days. And, you know, if the Looking wind's the right, same old country. Yeah. From a different perspective. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And it was it was cool to go up there because you know as, as a whitetail hunter you're like well, what if it's like over there I bet I bet you know we're we're bow hunters really so we're we're looking at putting ourselves in the middle of it which you know with wind and all that probably isn't a good idea but we were uh, we were really trying to actively hunt and so there was you know there was a lot of hiking involved in that and this this terrain is not you get off the plane and you're just walking on grass it's tundra and tussocks. It's impossible to run, and every step is planned. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, tundra is feels like you're walking on the beach in the sand, which feels good. But after the second day, your knees and your calves are just telling you to stop. <laughs> Burning. Yeah, because there's no solid footing. You know, it's not like mud. But then again, right. it's, it's really strange. It's very, very squishy and very spongy. And tussocks are you know, a grass-headed plant about a foot to two foot tall, about as big as a basketball. And if you step on it, you'll roll your ankle. So you have to step around it. And they're well, everywhere. that's what I was thinking too. Like, you know, you see you plan every step because if you make one wrong step and tweak an ankle or a knee, yeah, you're done, man. You're done. You don't want to go any further and it's going to make your trip kind of rough. So, yeah. So, so now that you know, you've got everything half, back Half home, a mile is 30 minutes to get there. Yeah. You know, if you walk it, it's five minutes. <laughs> Yeah, on flat ground. On yeah. flat ground, you know, yeah. going down the street, going for a little stroll. It's not that long, but, you know, to get there in that terrain, it takes a while, and so it takes more energy to do it. Right. Well, now that you got everything back home, uh, your 100 pounds of meat, your cape and stuff, did you, you get you a taxidermist located and all that? I did. You turned me on to one, and he was more than happy to accommodate us. Good. Well, he comes highly recommended from the guy that I use. I uh, told yeah. him that you lived in Owasso, and he's like, well, tell him to go to this guy, whatever. And so I'm glad it worked out. Did you get a get it over there and turned in and everything and get you a pose picked out? Uh, we do that before January. Uh, the preparation from Toke to Anchorage to Tulsa was we put our capes. We left them in. We bought tag bags, game bags, if you will, for the capes. We put them in that, and then we put them in uh, totes, froze them, and then they stayed frozen until they got to Tulsa still frozen, dropped him off to that guy. And he says, you know, give me the deposit before January and, you know, keep your antlers. Cause I want you guys to show them off and, you know, admire them. And cause he doesn't really need them yet. Yeah. Plus so, it probably takes up a ton of room in his shop. Yeah. That's kind of what I figured, you know, it's easier for us to hang on to him rather than him. Yeah. I went over to my taxidermist shop earlier this year and 
he had had four or five moose in there that he had to do and, and he ordered the mannequins in and all the horns were there and, or the antlers and i'm like oh my god i didn't realize they you know seeing just the shoulder mount form is huge Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it goes back to me never seeing one on a hoof before. You know, I've seen pictures. I know what a moose looks like. Yeah. But to physically see one, you know, to call one in, to see it just foaming and dripping from the nose and mouth and grunting and looking <laughs> at you, their eyesight's terrible, but they know, they know that what the call means. That means, you know, there's a cow, and it also means there's a bull. <laughs> So there's going to be some risk with reward and, you know, standing a hundred yards from a bull that is really, really excited and, you know, trying to pump himself up for a fight that, yeah. It could turn dangerous real quick if you're it not c- careful. It could, but it, man, it makes you feel alive. <laughs> it makes you feel alive. I bet. You so you got a spot picked out at, at your house to hang this big giant thing? Yeah, we got a spot picked out. It's going to go over the piano. Um, I'm sure that. I'm sure I haven't – I don't know if they make a pose, but I'm sure they do. I already know what kind of pose I want. So, Right. Um, just to, you know, do the, do the bull an honor or justice or to capture his, his look in that room. Yeah, I know what I want it to look like for sure. Cool. Yeah, I'm excited about that. I don't know how long it takes him to, to, to get it back to me, but I'm thinking probably a year plus, so – yeah that'll that'll be fun to get that thing on the wall and just look at it ah man i know i know go i bet you you go i know man i've been i've been now that you've done it and i realize it's doable i'm like hmm it's doable yeah it's it's expensive yes but okay what are you going to do with it I don't have to talk you into this. <laughs> no, no, you don't. No. I've, you know, I've, I haven't shot, I've, you know, big game hunting, whitetail, 30 years old. I remember the feeling the first time I shot a deer. Uh, and then I got into bow hunting and the game changed. This is completely different than any of that, really? I would say. Yeah, it's just, it's not the same style of active hunting or still hunting. It is still hunting, but then, okay, we got to make a plan. How are we going to get to him? How are we going to pick our spot and uh, get a shot on him? And yeah, it's, it's hunting again, but it's a little bit different than what I've been exposed to. Right. And I think it's interesting, you know, that you, you know, you started hunting at 30 years old, which is more uncommon than, you know, youngsters getting into it and going that route. It is because most hunters are introduced by, you know, grandpa, dad, uncle, whatever. Right. And, you know, they, they kind of see the ins and outs and then they modify their style as they get older. Do you feel like you coming on as a 30 year old hunter and, and beyond, do you think that that changed the way you do things or the way you your outlook at things versus no, guys that you hunt with that have been hunting their whole lives or anything Absolutely. Like that. I still feel, I still feel, uh, you know, juvenile when hunting with friends that have been doing it since childhood. Right. I still feel that way because I see them do things or pick up on things that might've would, would have taken me longer to discover. Um, but being older and mature, getting into, 
getting into this, you could call it a hobby, I guess, for lack of a better term. Sure. Uh, you know, it's, I pick up on things a lot faster, I guess, too. So, yeah. Um, and, and then I'm smart enough to know, to know who kind of knows what they're talking about and who yeah. doesn't. So, whereas a kid would listen to whoever's to, telling them whatever. Sure, yeah, yeah. And, and yeah. I try to corner those people and, and, you know, absorb a lot of knowledge from that. Who I choose to hunt with makes a big difference, too. Yeah. You know, initially, you know, I've kind of been in and out of three different hunting circles uh, to where I am now. And they all do it differently. None of them are wrong. Yeah. But where I'm at now is who, who challenged me the most. And I learned more from. So I, I think that's hard to do when you're, when you're a kid because you're just, your influence is, you know, immediate family. Yeah, it's a small circle. Yeah. 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 Well, that's cool, man. And I know you got your kids involved and, and Absolutely. they like to go out and, and do that thing. And I think that's awesome. And more people need to do that. And I, th- yeah. I really think that hunting, you know, they say hunter numbers are declining. Yeah, they say but that. I, I, I really think that if you talk to the right, because I've never been surveyed. So I know they're not getting everybody's perspective. Oh, you have it? No. I get surveyed every year. Really? Yeah, and I'm, I'll be real honest with you. I'm not real good about responding to those. <laughs> yeah, see, I've never been I'm like, surveyed. Oh, another email by... that I don't have to answer. <laughs> yeah. Well, I encourage you and anybody else to do that, to I know, let them know, I know how the rest of us feel. Um, but me being a lifetime license holder and not buying, I don't know if you are or not. Absolutely. But, oh, okay. And they still email you. Okay. I thought, well, maybe – if you go on their deal to purchase a license that they have, you know, current information, which all my stuff's current because I, you know, I have to get on there to, to download my hit permit to hunt migratory birds or. Sure. Yeah. And whatever. I'm on there logging in, buying my kids, you know, hunter tags or, or uh, what do you call it? Apprentice deals. Right. Uh, to keep them legal. And yeah, I, I still get surveyed. I still get those emails every year. Wow. Okay. I wish they would send me one because I'd give them a piece of my mind. <laughs> I've never been having, I've never had that success where somebody wanted to know my thoughts and listen to them. <laughs> well, so some, somebody is, try. yeah, I know, but I, I think uh, that there's a, there's a new movement and I hate to use the term millennials because there's so, it depends on what part of the country you're at, whether, and even within a state, you know, versus urban versus rural and the, the thought process that goes around, but there's a huge like uh, field to plate movement right now where people want to know where their food comes from and they want to know that they're putting in good food into their body and what a better way to do it than to harvest it on your own and butcher it on your own and know exactly where that meat has been, been touched by two hands, me and my buddy that helped in my garage, you know, cut this deer up or whatever. And I think there's more and more people getting into that. I had that conversation with a gal today at my daughter's, uh, she was cheering for a football game. I don't know. One of the parents figured out that I went on this trip and they were asking me specific questions about how I butchered the meat, you know, uh, how, what I plan on doing with it, how I plan on preparing it, what it tastes like and all that good stuff. Were they hunters or non hunters? (sighs) Supposedly they're hunters. Okay. I'll just just leave it there. Okay. But I, I told her 
and this is where I kind of, I'm not sure how to answer your last question, but the gal was just kind of had a big question mark over her, uh, her head that I thought I should add the comment. Have you ever asked her the question? Have you ever, you know what the best, the best piece of meat is the, the best piece of meat's the one that you took yourself and it's never been in a freezer off yeah. the bone. You cook it, you eat it. Mm-hmm. There's nothing better than that. Mm-hmm. I get goosebumps saying that because I know what it feels like. <laughs> yeah, man. I, I've this was by me. It never got processed. It never got put in a Ziploc bag, or however you put it in a freezer, because you want to keep it for a while. But man, off the bone, cook it, and then eat it. It's it's the best. Yeah, there's nothing better than that. Well, there's a lot of symbolism that goes into that as well. There is a lot. Yeah, but your your taste buds don't lie either. Yeah, that's true. Maybe they're influenced, but the the reason I ask if she was a hunter or non-hunter because I've had people come over to my house to hang out or whatever, and I'm like, yeah, let's cook something, and I'll cook at my house. I don't go to the grocery store for meat, and generally, if you're eating something at my house, it's it's something that me or my wife or or somebody close to me has taken, and I've turned a lot of people that have they're not against it, but they just don't do it. Right, and they're like, "Wow, this has is... never been exposed. That door's never right. been open for them." Right, so right. I use you know culinary tactics to to bring people on my side of the fence and go, "We're not all a bunch of rednecks that are out shooting deer and cutting their heads off and leaving them in the fields or whatever." Right, there's way more people out there that are doing things right and harvesting that animal and giving reverence to that animal where it is due, and using that animal to to feed ourselves and other people, family, friends, whatever. And turn people on to this is a good thing. This is a renewable resource that we are we're out here managing by taking them from the field and putting them in our freezer to get us by till next year. Completely and agree with that. I think yeah. it's a you know, I've turned a lot of I'm not gonna say anti hunters, uh, but but people that didn't hunt or really think that much about the 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 meat side of things and what that actually you know, you come in my house, I've got, you know, mounts of animals of all types all over the place. And you think, well, this guy's a freaking trophy hunter. Well, I, guess what? I am. But to me, that freezer that's in the kitchen that is stacked to the brim of meat is yeah. just as good a trophy to me as those, those heads and Absolutely. horns on the wall. Absolutely. And those heads and horns on the wall and birds and whatever, those are to, not that I need a reminder, but those are to remind me of greater times in the past. That's, like, yeah. And somebody, because I it's love just, when somebody comes It's just comes a great over. way to, yeah. however you want it. Okay. We could write about it. We could film it, but that on the wall, man, that tells a huge story. Well, I love nothing more than for somebody to come over and go, tell me the story on this one. And I'm like, Oh man, that was a good one. I was yeah. blank, you know, I and I get, here, I get to, I get to relive it, it every single time. I know. And, and that's awesome to me. Yeah. And my wife, she, she said that one day she wants to build some kind of recording device and mount it underneath each animal and have me tell the story in my own words <laughs> where you walk by and push the button. And, and even if I'm not home, you get to hear the story, you know. And <laughs> so I thought that was pretty funny. But. No, I love hunting. And, and from my perspective, there's a lot of ways to do it. And there's so many different ways that uh, hunters get fulfilled by doing it, whether it's 
you know, just to feed their family, whether it's just to hang a head on the wall. There's a million um, reasons why people do it. And there's a lot, there's a lot of negativity wrapped around, uh, like you said, the guys that shoot from the window of their truck and leave, leave the, the carcass lay in the field. They've got, you know, a pile of heads in the back of their truck. And it's just like anything else it, that gets sensationalized. And so people assume that that's all that hunters are and that that's the only thing that hunters are after, I guess, mm-hmm. is just, you know, doing it the wrong way. And well, I I'm agree with to... you. I think there's way more people that are doing it the right way. And the, what, the re- number one reason I love it is because it's something I can share with my family. It's, n- it's not competitive. I like no. golf. My dad loves golf. And I respect people that, I mean, I'm just using golf for an analogy, but golf is great. But I would rather be hunting than playing golf. And it's, just, sure. it's just me. It's just what a guy likes to do. But, yeah. Some guys uh, are into race cars or motorcycles. Or yeah. And I love painting cars too, or whatever. It's just what do you choose to, to fill your time? Yeah. You know, we only have so much time on this, on this earth. And what are you going to do to fill it? Yeah. I want to make the most of mine. And, and hunting is who I am. It's not what I do. It's who I am. You yeah. know what I mean? And everything that goes with that from uh, con- uh, conversations that you have with people or uh, advocacy for the sport and educating people, all those things are important. They're all part of it. And if, if you're out there and you're purchasing a hunting license and you're, you're doing this thing, you need to be a good advocate for the sport. You need to be a good example. And That's I know right. you are, but I'm just saying people I try, in general. I try to be. You know, that's my goal for my kids, especially. Right. I don't know if I, if I meet that mark, but that's my goal. Yeah. You know, and I've, I've heard, I've, we've all been around people that are, <laughs> uh, you know, whatever. They yeah. don't do it the same way we do it. So, and, and that's why I've chosen to, to change my, my, you know, groups that I'm with that, you sure. know, I like this hunting group or, you know, I'll get, get invited to deer camp over here and I'll go and I'll experience it. It's great. But then I find someone else to hunt with, and I, I enjoy them, their company, their knowledge, their style of hunting way more. So, mm-hmm. And I'm the kind, point of view of different people, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's a great sport. If you want to call it a sport, it's a great hobby, if you want to call it that. Uh, I guess from me looking through your eyes, it's a great way of life. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I understand why people are against it. I completely get that. If, if you feel saddened by the death of an animal, that's okay. Yeah. Well, don't get me started on these people that get sad because <laughs> if, if you are one of those people that are saddened by someone taking the life of an animal, then you better not be ever, ever, ever eating a cheeseburger or a Chick-fil-A sandwich or anything yeah. like that because I, you're part I, of the I, problem. I still eat store-bought meat. Some sure. of it, not all of it, but some of it. Yeah, like chicken. Uh, I mean, chicken. I'll go to the store and get chicken or whatever. Walmart but red chicken. meat, you know, I don't, I don't, my grandpa and my brother-in-law, they're both cattle farmers. I'm, I'm the same way. I, find, they, I, buy, I buy beef in bulk. Yeah. I, I haven't eaten, unless I go out to eat, I don't eat beef. Yeah. At my house, it's, it's, it's deer, elk, axis, mule deer, ducks, awdad, wild hog, you name it. Yeah. We got it. 
pretty much, you know. You know what the fun part about that is? The, the variety. Yeah, because the variety wife, is. Yeah, my wife will like, say, hey, uh, tonight we're going to have spaghetti. I'm like, all right, are we going to have Axis spaghetti or Mule Deer spaghetti or Havelina spaghetti <laughs> or what are we doing? You know? I know. Yeah, it, the variety is it's endless. Yeah. So unless you're just out of that species, which, you know, oh, guess what? Let's go hunting. <laughs> yeah, just today, my wife said, uh, "Hey, we're uh, we're not out or nothing, but we're kind of running low on access meat, so we uh, we might want to start thinking about getting another hunt put together to go get one of those. Because if there's access in my freezer, I'll be honest with you, she doesn't really dig around too hard in the mule deer and whitetail box. Yeah, I get she you. goes straight for that access box." <laughs> Which, I mean, I don't blame her. I love it. But I'm like, hey, we got to pace ourselves here. We'll spread out the love a little. <laughs> I've had access, and I understand that. Man. It's special. It is. I love it. And that's it part of the special. reason why uh, why my wife and I have decided, decided to start an access breeding farm. But that's for another another time. Yeah, right. I get but, you. Tyler, I appreciate you taking the time to uh, to come on here and visit with me and tell your story. Um here at Small Town Hunter, kind of our slogan or, or the way we revolve around things or whatever is hunting stories told here. And, and I put that, my wife, you know, she's a marketing guru and she was like, you know what, what defines what, what you guys are doing? And, what, you know, I'm like, well, it's just a bunch of average guys, you know, getting around and we love tell hunting stories. So hunting stories told here and this has been a dandy you've been informative and, you know, kind of filled us, the rest of us people that haven't been to go do something like that yet giving us the opportunity to look through your window for, for just a little bit and tell us about it. And I'm very appreciative and I can't say thank you enough for, for coming on and sharing your story. Now you're a good friend. Uh, I love telling this story. I feel like <laughs> I left a lot of loopholes or, or bullet holes in it as far as getting all those details in there, because uh, to pour this all out would take a long time. You know? Yeah. Man, it's I've got so many thoughts and memories and uh, things that I still haven't told my kids just because it hasn't you know come to the front of my head yet. But uh, mm -hmm. man, anytime you got a question about whatever, uh, my buddy and I made up a slogan while we were there. Okay, because there was so much expectation, and then again, so much that we didn't know what to expect. And that was you don't know until you go. You just don't know what to expect until you go. Well, that needs to be on a T-shirt. Because <laughs> I think that's the biggest hang-up to go do a big hunt is, oh, it's going to be a lot of work. Or it takes too much work to prepare for it. Or it's a lot of money to go. And if you can, just try to go. Yeah. Because this was so incredible. And I hope this feeling I have never goes away. Oh man, I don't think it will <laughs> because it is, it is truly great. You know, you hear people's all the time saying, you know, if I ever lose that feeling of, of what I'm experiencing now while hunting, I'll quit. And, and I, I can't say that I feel the same way. I don't know. I've uh, been discouraged, if, you know, <clears throat> I, oh, yeah, I, we all I haven't have. killed a whitetail in three years. Right. You know, I, it's okay with me. Yeah. My, my kids have. Sure. So that's how I justify that. <laughs> Oh yeah. <laughs> and that's, and yeah. We all have slumps like that, you know, where you you're either, you know, management practices on your properties or whatever. Don't that's exactly why. Yeah. I just, 
hadn't been the right one. It's not that you didn't have a deer in front of you. It's just you didn't have the deer you wanted to take in front of you. Right. Which I get. That's right. That's, that's the reason why. And, and I, and, you know, <clears throat> okay. I had a, I had a great year last year. You know, I filled both of my buck tags in Oklahoma. I killed an axis doe in Texas. I went to Montana and shot a nice mule deer. And so then my freezer was like overflowing. And I'm like, Oh my God, you know, and I, <laughs> First world problems. <laughs> yeah, no kidding, right? <clears throat> so I'm going to be, you know, extremely picky on, on what I decide to harvest this year because I don't, I don't need it. You know what I mean? I don't need – I want I need that experience, but I don't, I don't need the meat. So – It's not going to keep you on the couch, though. No, no, not at yeah. all. Just experiencing those sunrises and sunsets are, are just as good or, or seeing two bucks fight out that's there. That's a or... successful hunt. Now, you, like, just like the moose hunt we experienced, we expected one. We were going to be a little like, oh, awesome trip. But you know what? All we did was go up there and camp and hunt. One moose, that filled the bill. Two moose, oh, on cloud nine. Yeah. You know, they're yeah. not trophies. They're legal, but they're not trophies. But that's okay, you know. Maybe to you. Oh, uh, trophies as far as record book stuff. Oh, y- yeah. yeah. Crap on that, man. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> if you guys went up there looking for a Boone and Crockett moose, I mean, you go back a hundred times. You know? uh, yeah, and I'm okay. I'm good. Uh, this, If I never go again, I'll be okay with that. Mm-hmm. But, man, how can I not? <laughs> how can uh... I not? Well, we need to put something together and do some hunting together this year. I think that'd be fun. That would. Absolutely. All right. Well, Tyler, thank you so much for your time, man, and, and appreciate the story. And and uh, we'll talk to you soon, and I wish you the best of luck and, and your kids, too, this season. So Yeah, thank you very much. My kids need it. My daughter's, uh, you know, she hasn't she hasn't filled a tag yet. So It's okay. She's 12, and I think she's due. Yeah. I think well, she's the, due. Well, that youth season's coming up in a couple weeks. It's a big one for us. It's a family <clears throat> family event. Four families converge, and we, man, we do our darndest to get them all. See, one. that's exactly what this crap's all about. That's ex- uh, man, it's good. It's re- youth camp is my funnest whitetail all year. I it's love hunting by myself. I love yeah. hunting with my buddies, and I love bow hunting early. <laughs> I love bow hunting the rut. Rifle hunting whitetail, uh, it's fun, but I'd rather bow hunt. Yeah, but if I've got my kid with me and they're behind the, you know, behind the trigger, man, then that's when the adrenaline really kicks in. For me, not for them, for me, (laughs) I get a lot out of that. Oh yeah. All right. Well, uh, we wish your daughter the best of luck and your son too. And yep. uh, Tell Sean we said congratulations, and I can't wait to. uh, I, I I got to see some pictures, so maybe we'll post some pictures of your moose and stuff after we air this podcast. That way, people will kind of see. You know, the most that you guys you took. You got the videos, too? Yeah, 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 I did. There's lots of video, but those are the, the kill video, if you will, or the, you know, the moment of truth there. Yeah, 380 pictures and, you know, 10 videos out of the whole trip just on my phone. Wow. So. I love it. Good times. All right, buddy. We'll take care of yourself, and we'll yep. talk to you soon. Thank you very much. Thanks, bud. We'll see you. See you, bye. As always, thanks again for listening to the Small Town Hunter podcast. We appreciate all the followers and listeners. 
You can check out what we got going on on our Facebook page, Instagram, and our YouTube channel. Everything you can find us at Small Town Hunter TV. Uh, leave us a review wherever you get your podcast. We really appreciate all the positive feedback, and this podcast is uh, it's been a lot of fun to do, and uh, we're going to keep trying to bring it to you. So thank you to all the supporters out there. Don't forget to go to our website, smalltownhuntertv.com. Get all your Small Town Hunter swag, uh, things like that. You'll be looking sharp on your next hunting adventure. On this episode of the Small Town Hunter podcast, we're sitting in the living room in our bunkhouse in northeastern Montana, recapping our mule deer hunt. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the the conversation.